Hope you guys are having a good weekend, staying cool out there. Good luck. My name is Will Vakurvich. I am uh, Director of Mission Collectives and Communities here at Redemption Tempe. And it's my pleasure this morning to be able to introduce a new series for you guys. We will be spending the summer uh, looking at the book of Psalms. And just so you know, if you've been around Redemption for a while, you guys know that we typically teach through books of the Bible. And we do that by starting with the first chapter and the first verse and going verse by verse through, um, through the book. We're not going to do that with the book of Psalms because there's like 150 chapters and the summer's just not that long, although it feels like it's that long. So what we're going to be doing is, uh, as a group of, of preaching pastors um, in the spring, we just decided upon uh, a set group of psalms kind of scattered throughout the book that we'll be teaching through. And we're really excited um, for a couple reasons here. This is a little bit different than what we typically do. Um, we're excited. You know, we, we get that in the summertime, you guys travel, we go, we try to get out of the heat. And so each week we'll be focused on a specific psalm. It, it's not like as we taught through Titus that Paul was developing a coherent argument from week to week, and it was kind of important that you were there. We encourage you guys to listen online to any of the sermons, but each week we'll kind of stand alone. One of the other things that we realize is that as a people, we love the epistles. Um, we love our theology, our clearly structured arguments, our Western minds kind of gravitate towards those things. We love the Gospels, and, and we love history, and we, we love to see how A plus B equals C. And, and in the Psalms, we encounter something different. We encounter a collection of, of poems. We encounter a, a collection of prayers, of songs, of ways that God's people have expressed their emotion back to him. And so our hope and prayer throughout this series is that we're able to partner along with the psalmists, along with the generations throughout church history who have prayed these prayers back to God. That we'll not only use our mind and our intellects to worship God, but also our emotions, our, our vulnerability. In the psalms, we see psalms of lament, where people are crying out because of the brokenness of the world, because of the injustice that they experience. They ask God, how long, O oh Lord, will you allow this to happen? And I don't know about you, but there have been definite seasons in my life where I have prayed those prayers, how long, O oh Lord, will this continue? We see prayers of thanksgiving, where the psalmists are, are overwhelmed with the blessings that God has abundantly poured out upon their lives, and they can't do anything but thank God. Again, there's been seasons of that in my own life where I felt his blessing. We see these songs of praise where the psalmist is looking out over creation. They, they see the blessings and they can't help but just worship their creator. We long to be a people who worship. A people who are gracious, filled with thankful hearts. And so our prayer is that the psalms are, are used as a sort of tool that God would begin to use these, these poems to shape us as a people. And this is what Eugene Peterson says about, about this in the Psalms. He says, these prayers are tools, but with this clarification. Prayers are not tools for doing or getting, but for being and becoming. 
So our hope and our, and our prayer is that God's inspired word through these poems and songs and um, prayers is that we would begin to be shaped and, and molded as a people who love God, who praise God, who thank God in the midst of chaos and trouble and uncertainty, who are honest and vulnerable before God, who don't feel like we need to clean up our prayers to him, but understand that God knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts, and so we can be vulnerable in the ways that we come to him. We can have a confidence as we approach his throne because of his son Jesus. The other thing we'd like to highlight is this is the prayer book that the church has used for thousands of years. It would be foolish and arrogant for us to think that we know better. That we know better than David, a man after God's own heart. That we know better than Moses, who God spoke his law to and through. That we know better than generations of church fathers, church leaders, the faithful who remain consistent with God's word throughout persecution throughout trials, throughout the ages. N.T. Wright helps clarify our, our um, vision in this with, with this quote. He says, the Psalms offer us a way of joining in a chorus of praise and prayer that has been going on for millennia and across all cultures, not to try to inhabit them while continuing to invent non-Psalmic worship based on our own feelings of the moment, risk being like a spoiled child who taken to the summit of Table Mountain with the city and ocean spread out before him refuses to gaze at the view because he's playing with his Game Boy. Now for those of you who are old enough to remember what a Game Boy is, this quote actually means something. For the rest of you, just replace Game Boy with iPad and it'll make sense. We want to take the time to hear from God. We want to hear what God is saying to us through his people, through these psalmists. So I'm really excited. Um, for you guys who have been around, I, I like to do poetry from time to time, and so going through some poems is like, I'm, I'm excited for this. The, the poet Samuel Coolridge says, poetry is the best words in the best order. And I think this is true of the psalms. So we're going to start in the beginning in Psalm chapter 1. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. If you don't, go ahead and raise your hand and one of our ushers will make sure to get you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible at home, this is our gift to you. Feel free to take it. We, we hope and pray that you guys would be um, blessed by reading it. Um, feel free to, to take it. If you guys need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. While the ushers are passing those out, would you guys pray with, pray with me as we start? God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these psalms. We thank you for the countless lives that have been touched by them, the ways that your spirit has moved throughout history um, through these words that we get to, uh, we get to read, uh, we get to pray. God, we get to um, delight upon and meditate upon. We pray that you would use this summer through this series, through your word, through your spirit to shape us as a people who love you who love you not only with our minds, but with our hearts as well, who are vulnerable before you, who are not afraid to express the emotion that we feel because you know it already. God, we thank you that you engage the difficult parts of our lives 
that your gospel bears fruit in those difficult parts when we release it to you. God, give us the courage to be vulnerable. Give us the courage to look at ourselves in the mirror of this psalm. Speak to us. Draw us closer to you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to begin um, in Psalm chapter one, uh, chapter 1. And what we have to understand here is that the Psalms are an edited book, meaning they're compiled with intention. We don't read the Psalms chronologically as they were written, but most scholars believe that they were compiled during the time that Israel was in captivity in Babylon. So there's purpose, there's form and structure, and it's, it's fascinating and beautiful to see. And so if this is something that interests you, and even if it's something that doesn't, I highly recommend the Bible Project. They have a short video about how the, the Psalms are compiled. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. So if you guys are on Right Now Media, which we sent the links out, you can find it there. You can find it on the Bible Project website or you can find it on YouTube. Um, so go ahead and check that out, the Bible Project video on the book of Psalms. And that will be able to elaborate um, in much more time than I have right now, the structure of the Psalms. For our purposes this morning, we just need to know that the Psalms were laid out with intention. So this being the very first psalm, this initial psalm, uh, there's a point to it. And it's often referred to, this in Psalm chapter 2, are, are the introductory psalms or the welcoming psalms. They were crafted to, to draw people into praise of who God is. They were set out initially so that we could have a moment of introspection before we enter into worship and praise of God. And so what happens with this, in this psalm is what happens typically before I leave my house in the morning. You see, my morning routine, I, I get ready and I look in the mirror and it looks the same as it has my whole life, it feels like. I kind of become blinded to it. And if there's something really out of place, I notice it. But the details, I just kind of gloss over. So I know that the mirror, my vision, my sight of what's going on in the mirror can't be my final check. My final check is my beautiful wife. I have to ask her, like, do I match? Does this shirt that's plaid with these shorts that are, like, striped, should I do that? Is that a good idea? Like, should people be able to see this much of my socks? These are very important questions before we leave the house. We do these things with people we love, right? We do the, like, right? Like, check me. Am I okay? I can't see what's in my nose or between my teeth, so I need someone else to speak that truth to me. Now, this can be kind of vulnerable because my wife is, is bold and she'll say, like, you have something right there that should not be there. And then I need to do, like, the awkward walk to the bathroom and hope no, nobody else sees me, right? This is what Psalm chapter 1 is doing. It, it's holding up the mirror. It's the loved one who's saying, look at yourself. Examine your heart. Examine your life. Resist the temptation to always think that you're the good guy in the story. Who are you? We love to be the hero. We love to think that we're right and everyone else is just kind of subpar. We ultimately know what's best. And this psalm challenges that. In English poetry, we're used to rhyme schemes, how things are paired together, how similar sounds go together. In Hebrew poetry, one of the techniques that they use is compare and contrast. And so that's what we'll see in Psalm 1. We'll see the psalmist comparing the wicked and the righteous, chaff and a tree. So let's jump in. 
The first word of the first psalm is blessed. This book starts with the word blessed. We typically think of blessed in the sense of financial blessing, in the sense of happiness. This word carries much more meaning than simply that. This isn't only the the offering of prosperity. This is a sense of contentment. At the root of this word blessed is, is the idea of to set right, to be ordered, to be displayed in a way that things were intended to be. So the book starts with this, this promise, this offering of hope that things can be the way they should be. It says, blessed is the man. Notice, if, if poetry is the best words in the best order, then these words are important. It doesn't say blessed is the king. It doesn't say blessed is the priest. Blessed is the prophet. Blessed is the religious or political or financial elite. Blessed is the person. There's a sense of accessibility here. This blessing is an open-handed gift for any who would receive it. It's free. Blessed is the man. And here we see the compare and contrast. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. If we slow down, we can see a sense of progression here. There's a steady decline and descent into sin in this phrase. Blessed is the man who does not walk, spend a short amount of time in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands, plants his feet, spends a longer duration in the way of sinners, nor sits, becomes comfortable, invites scoffers into his living room. We see this slippery and steady descent into sin in this phrase. And so the psalmist is warning us. There's a blessing for people who can avoid this. So again, this begs the question, how can we avoid this? But, here's the comparison, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So, if you're a rule breaker like me, the first word that jumps out here is law. And when I think of law, I don't really think of something that I want to spend my time meditating upon. I I actually know this for certain. You see, I went to college in Canada, and I had a really good friend during my first year in school who, who wanted to come up and drive with us back home. So I grew up in Northern California. My college was in Saskatchewan. It was a 26-hour drive. What we didn't know, we just thought our friend was like being nice. Hey, I'll drive you guys back home. You don't have to pay for a plane ticket. He actually had ulterior motives. See, during this time, he was a potential cadet for the California Highway Patrol. So he used this 26-hour drive as a study session where he would recite the California Penal Code, 287, blah, 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 134 is a misdemeanor so-and-so, the entire time. It was really irritating, just like this sound. (laughs) Oh, Amber Alert. (laughs) Is everyone getting the same Amber Alert? That's awesome. Yeah, that won't throw you off your sermon. So for 26 hours, 
I heard California penal code over and over and over, and I never want to do that again. But that's not the type of law that's being communicated here in this psalm. What the psalmist is referring to is the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament. He's not referring to a list of don'ts. He's referring to God's story. The, the poem of how God created everything that we will ever see. The heartbreaking tragedy of, of Adam and Eve and, and their refusal to trust God and their fall, their disobedience and sin entering into God's perfect world and shattering the shalom or the peace, the intention of how things are supposed to be. The story of God is this loving father who prepares a way for his people, who promises blessing upon his chosen family so that in turn all families throughout the entire earth may be blessed. True, there are laws. And these laws were given so that the people of Israel could live as a distinct or different nation so that their blessing would overflow into the lives of other people and become a blessing for them as well. They were instructed to have special concern for the widow, the orphan, the sojourner or foreigner in their town so that God made sure his people had special concern for the least of these, the most vulnerable in their communities. This is not a list of don'ts. This is the unfolding story of a loving and compassionate father who deliberately and intentionally and persistently pursues his people to welcome them back into his family upon this law are we commanded to delight? This word delight, I almost get nervous in explaining it because in, in this usage, it's, it's delight in the sense of the way a husband takes delight in his wife. There's deep affection here. The prophet Isaiah uses this word delight to describe the sounds that a lion would make once it's caught its prey. Think about when you're hungry. You're famished and, and your favorite meal comes. That, mmm, it's time. Those sounds at Thanksgiving when the feast is brought forth, right? The rumblings of the stomach, the eager anticipation. That's the way we should be approaching God's word. And, and I'm doing word studies and I'm, I'm looking at the text and I'm getting excited. And then, and then there's this tug. You guys know the voice. The voice that says, when's the last time you took delight in God's word like this? When's the last time you long to read through a book of the Bible like you long for date night with your spouse? When's the last time you felt like you physically could not go on unless you read God's word? I feel that conviction. The, the mirror is held up and I can see the things that are out of place feel a little nervous, a little conviction. This, this meditate, we're, we're not only called to delight in, on the law, but we're also called to meditate day and night. This isn't, this isn't only the sense of reading God's word. This is reading prayerfully. This is reading, understanding the context that we're in and how it applies if you've been around, you're probably tired of hearing us say, all of life is all for Jesus, but that is the reality that God calls us to. As we encounter God's word and, and we look into God's word, we have to be mindful of the situations that we are in and what is God saying to us in our context? How can we more faithfully live this out? 
What did it mean to the original hearers? This takes work. It's not easy. It's not momentary. He says, meditate on God's law day and night. There's a commitment. Much like everything else of great value in our lives, it requires time, sacrifice, effort, and intention. And, and so these are the commands. We see this compare and contrast of the wicked and the righteous. The wicked are along this gradual slope, this gradual descent into sin. And the righteous are, are focused on God's word. He, he draws this out further when uh, he says in verses 3 and 4, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So if you guys are a part of our Red Roots uh, community garden, then you know I am not the best gardener. Uh, one time we had a garden in our house, and it lasted about four weeks, and then it, everything died. Um, we're, I'm not very good at growing things. Uh, so what I hear is that chaff is the, the um, part of wheat that surrounds the grain, part that people want. Now, this plant grows up quickly. It only takes two to four months for, for full maturity. And, and then when it's harvest time, the chaff is, is threshed or beaten and then thrown up into the air so that it separates because it's really light. So the wind just blows it away. It's totally useless. There's no substance to it. As soon as a gentle breeze comes and gives it a little nudge, it floats away. I can kind of wrap my mind around that. The psalmist compares this chaff to a tree. A tree planted by streams of water. A healthy tree. A mature tree. Think about what trees do. Right? Trees have broad branches and, and leaves that provide shade. They bear fruit that other people can enjoy. They provide shade and, and shelter, protection. They produce oxygen. They help control the climate, regulate the climate. Their, their roots go down deep and help to prevent the erosion of soil. Doesn't this sound like what God has called the nation of Israel and his people to do? That they would be blessed so that they could be a blessing for others? Trees are strong. They're rooted. They don't reach maturity in two to four months. They grow for years, decades, centuries in some cases. Trees may bend in the breeze, but they're immovable at their root. I learned this the hard way on a mission trip to Ecuador. You see, after college, I, I got into boxing and some mixed martial arts, and, and so I would watch videos on YouTube and thought I was like this really cool tough guy. And one of the videos that I saw was of a, a Muay Thai kickboxer in Thailand. And how they would train there is, is their Thai fighters would actually kick banana trees to toughen up their shins. So I was in Ecuador on a mission trip, and we're down by this, <laughs> you guys know where this story is going, we're at one of the tributaries of the um, Amazon River, and our group is there, and one of the people says, hey, that's a banana tree, and like, oh, the light bulb comes on, right? And so the only moment of clarity I had in this whole scene was I waited until everyone else left, <laughs> so I was by myself. 
And, and then I looked, and there was like a pretty tall, like taller than me banana tree, and then there was like the little baby banana tree, so I chose the baby banana tree. And, and I gave it, you know, like a little tester, kind of see what it felt like, and I thought I was pretty tough. So I gave it like a half, like 50% kick. Um, I fell to my knees. Tears poured from my eyes, and I had a nasty bruise and, like, blood, and everyone's like, dude, what happened? And I'm like, oh, I fell down, <laughs> fell down. That's a baby banana tree, which Wikipedia tells me isn't even really a tree. <laughs> now, think about this tree that the psalmist describes here. Its roots are deep and strong. It's planted by streams of water. It's bearing fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. It continues to grow and mature. It's firm. It's steadfast. It's not the kind of tree you want to kick. It's not going anywhere. I, I think about my life and, and the different trials and, and seasons that we've endured and the times that I have been able to put down some roots and the other times where my life has been much more like the chaff that's so easily blown away. And I know, I know that God is calling me to take delight in his word. I know that God is calling me to continue to meditate upon what he says, what he promises me. The ways in which he reveals his character and who he is, his goodness and grace and love and forgiveness. This is what the psalmist is calling us to. He concludes the psalm by, by saying this. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God says these things in, in wisdom literature that are general rules of thumb, meaning typically this is the way it goes. Notice God does not promise financial prosperity for the righteous. He doesn't promise that things will always be a-okay, peachy king. He doesn't say that it will all be like puppies and rainbows falling from heaven. But he says that he knows their ways. This is an ongoing sense of knowing. We don't really have a word for this. It's, it's knowing and being aware of and being attentive to and being always present with. That's the promise here. As the wind blows, as the monsoons and the haboobs sweep in, as the 117-degree weekends come through, this tree is rooted. It's firm. It has a source of sustenance and water and everything that it needs for survival because it's taking delight in God's word. It's holding firm and fast to his promises. It knows who God is. I, I love this, this, this beautiful imagery here because as the psalmist is talking about prayer, about entering into God's presence, he uses tangible images, right? A tree. We have them in our backyards. We know what trees are. E Eugene Peterson has a quote that, that addresses this. And, and I love the way he describes it. He says, we are not launched into the life of prayer by making ourselves more heavenly, but by immersing ourselves in the earthly, not by formulating abstractions, but by attending to trees and tree toads, mountains and mosquitoes, the stuff of everyday life. 
And I think this is an encouragement to us to be able to see God's hand moving and working in the, our current situations, our everyday realities. That God is moving in every area, every sphere of our lives if we only have eyes to see. And, and through that, we can join with the psalmist as we rejoice with gratitude as we praise God with hearts full of joy, as we bring the difficult and troublesome situations to him in prayers of lament, as we cry out, how long, oh God, how long? This is the reality of our lives. This is the emotion, the reality that the Psalms speak to. So as we think about our daily lives, our, our schedules, the amount of time that we do spend meditating or not meditating on God's word, we feel that sense of conviction. It can be easy to feel overwhelmed. For some of us, we struggle to read our Bible every day, let alone meditate on it day and night. But there is hope here. There's hope if we understand the image. See, this, the word for this tree who's been planted it is closer to a tree who's been transplanted meaning this tree started somewhere else. But God, through his grace, by his spirit, has allowed this tree to be uprooted, taken to a, a, a soil of, which is much more conducive for growth. There's intention here. And this is an open invitation. Much like the promise of blessing that the psalm begins with, we have the opportunity we have the opportunity to meditate on God's word. We have the opportunity to take delight in his word because his son lived, died, and was resurrected on our behalf so that we can partake in his righteousness because we know that we fall short. That's not news to anyone. We all know that we make mistakes. We all know that if we're honest, we, most of our lives are spent more closely identified with the unrighteous than with the righteous. With that slippery slope of descent with the wicked than with the one who has been planted, firm, unwavering, deeply rooted. There's time. There's hope. There's opportunity through Jesus. Our prayer through this series is that these poems, these emotion-filled prayers, which draw on images of common everyday life like a tree, would be moving to our souls. They would be the tools that God uses to shape us as a people who love and worship and praise him despite our circumstances, despite our failures, despite the things that we've done and the things that have been done to us that are not the way that they should be. There's hope here. Our prayer is that we would become trees who are transplanted by the deep rivers of his word so that we could grow and blossom for the benefit of our, our congregation and our community and ultimately our world. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we thank you we thank you for the hope that you offer. We thank you that you call us to be transplanted. We thank you that you provide those streams of water that nourish our souls. We pray that you would give us eyes to see the way that you, you and your spirit are moving and working in us in the good times, in the bad times, in the difficult times, in the seasons of joy, in the seasons of prosperity, and in the seasons of pain. We thank you that you're present. 
We thank you that you are a God who is close, a God who draws near. We thank you that you're a God who put on flesh and walked amongst us. We thank you that your son hung on a tree. He was sacrificed and raised from the dead so that his righteousness may be given to us. We thank you for that gift that allows us to be deeply rooted. We pray that you would deeply root us as a community, a community who's blessed to be a blessing for others. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. Help us to love each other more. Help us to love your word more. We pray these things in your name. Amen.